I'm Tiffany Xingyu. I'm the GM and the co-founder of Oasis Consortium, a nonprofit that builds standards for brand and user safety. Today, uh, I invited the co-founder of Brand Safety Institute, Neil Thurman, to talk about everything brand safety. Welcome, Neil. Oh, thank you for having me, Tiffany. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Neil, tell us about yourself and the Brand Safety Institute. Sure. Um, so, um, the Brand Safety Institute we founded uh, about four years ago, and really the genesis of it was um, th that brand safety seemed to be evolving at a very rapid pace. And there were a lot of organizations doing great work defining very specific pieces of it. The Trustworthy Accountability Group was you know, fighting fraud and helping companies do that, uh, and, and piracy and all sorts of criminal activity. The Coalition for Better Ads was working on user experience. The DAA was, was working on privacy. The IAB, the 4As, the ANA all were doing their parts uh, around different, different aspects of, uh, of brand safety. Uh, but almost all of those uh, organizations were focusing on companies. As a company, your business processes should be this, you should be using this standard, et cetera, et cetera. And what, what, what Mike uh, Mazanis, my co-founder and I talked about was that there was nobody really kind of caring for and feeding the, the human beings, the actual managers who are on a day-to-day -day basis going to have to figure this out and, and, and figure out how to, to pursue all of these goals. Um, and a lot of them, in our conversations turned out kind of came to brand safety by happenstance more than by design. So there was a fraud incident at a company and somebody got assigned to the team to figure out what happened and how to prevent it from happening next time. And so that person didn't necessarily know anything about ad adjacency or about user experience or, or what have you. And so either we were going to let them just kind of fumble around uh, until they figured all those things out and ran into all these resources on their own, or we could create a resource um, that would really start bringing that group of people across the entire supply chain together and start getting them to speak the same language and understanding each other's perspectives for what brand safety means to a publisher versus an intermediary versus a, a marketer. Uh, so that was kind of the, the the thinking that we had uh, when we when we formed Brand Safety was we really wanted to create a resource to help professionalize the this nascent job of Brand Safety Officer. So, well, and a, as far as me, uh, I don't know that that's that terribly interesting a subject. Um, of of the two of us, uh, you know, Mike has been in digital advertising for for years and years. Uh, I've had kind of fits and starts where I've been involved in the digital uh, publishing universe, but never, that has never been my, my day job. I have been more involved in creating companies. Um, I started out my career in industrial psychology, so have some experience with how do you define a job? How do you create it? How do you make sure people are, are prepared to do it? How do you evaluate success? Things like that. Um, so it's, it's really been a great partnership. I've spent a lot of the last three and a half years, four years learning the ins and outs of the industry and you know, hopefully lending some, some know-how in terms of helping to build, build BSI up. Thank you. So obviously, as you mentioned, BSI helps professionals to understand what 
brand safety really means and then really mm -hmm. understand the measures and procedures so that they all the corporates actually can take a proactive approach rather than reactive when bad things already happen so why don't you break down what brand safety really is uh, for different stakeholders in the industry it's quite a confusing term let's admit yep. it Yep. So, uh, you know, we, we were just as confused as everybody else was when we started this venture and we knew there was this, this broad topic of brand safety that was emerging and people were using it to mean a lot of different things. Um, so rather than us trying to pretend that we were smarter than, than everybody else in the room, we went out and asked, right? So we went and found industry experts and, and, and asked them to, to tell us what they thought was kind of in and what was not in with brand safety. And I think the best way I can express it is, is really that it's the, the set of issues that are unintended consequences of the kind of rise of digital advertising. So nobody intended for ad adjacency, for instance, to become a problem. You know, the, the goal was always for an ad to show up in a great place to meet a customer that was highly likely to be interested in that particular message. Um, but in the process, whereas pre-digital and pre-kind of escalation of the amount of content on the internet, it was pretty easy to know who your partners were going to be uh, in the post-social post media, post-long tail world, there was just no way to know where what all that content was um, with the, that infrastructure. So that is part of it you know the the industry i think you know took user experience for granted a little bit and so that entered it you know oh what can we do to get people's attention well without thinking too much about the notion that getting their attention might also annoy them and inspire them to download ad blockers and things like that certainly fraud and piracy and malware and things like that are always unintended you know the the holes in the supply chain and the 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 frailties of it at, at various points in its evolution you know made um you know made for opportunities for bad actors and as as the money at stake in digital advertising got bigger um you know that became an unintended consequence that that fraud and things like that were happening at scale and then just simple things like viewability right um you know can, can we all agree on what it means that an ad was seen you know, if somebody picks up a newspaper and looks at the front page, okay, we can all agree that they've seen it. Um, but, you know, if a page loads three quarters of the way and your ad is seen for a quarter of a second, does that count? Does that not count? How much of it has to render? Things like that. So all of these, uh, I think, were kind of in, in the definition of brand safety when we started. And over the years, I think it has, has grown. I mean, it's, it's been amazing how quickly it has changed to encompass, I think, higher order, more kind of intellectually complex concepts like, like misinformation and, you know, kind of the, the confluence of corporate social responsibility and digital ad buying, user safety, which I know is, is very important to the Oasis Foundation. Um, so, you know, I, I think all of these things are either very much front and center in brand safety or are becoming part of the, the larger conversation. Yeah, to your point, let's talk about accountability, right? So you have you have adjacency issues, you have viewability issues, yep. and security issues. It truly can be owned by anybody of a C-suite mm -hmm. actually in an org. So what is the landscape you see today? Who really care about it, had a budget to invest in brand safety right now? 
Um, so I think it depends on where you're talking in the supply chain um, and, and what kind of the dominant strains are within a company. I, I think, as you say, there's a lot of people who could have, have that interest. So you think about Procter and Gamble and, and Mark Pritchard is, you know, the, the chief brand officer and he, he feels like he, he leads with the notion that this is important for our brands and who we are. So it's not necessarily a, a financial, you know, a CFO suite or a, a compliance driven activity there. But there are other companies, like if I think of historically of the GEs of the world who kind of manage more in that Six Sigma way, I could easily envision a scenario where brand safety and prevention of fraud and, and some of the more, um, the more knowable and quantifiable aspects of brand safety, viewability and fraud and things like that, very much show up under, you know, under that auspice and, and it, the brand safety practice within that type of a company is, is built from, from the C-suite or from the CFO finance side. Um, and likewise, you know, you think about brands that are more mission driven um, and you could see, you know, corporate social responsibility or, or somebody in that, that regard um, driving an agenda much more around who do we buy from, you know, what are the nature of the, the investments we're making, not, you know, wh who is it that we're chasing per se and, and what is the, the uh, value of that one impression, but what are we saying about ourselves by how we go about doing what we're doing. So I think it can come from a lot of different directions and I don't think there's any one answer that has emerged yet. And, and I think that's part of why we're doing what we're doing is because we do want to try and, and build that common approach. Uh, and we want the different parts of the organization contributing those different elements. We want the marketers to, to bring the notion that it says something about our brand. It is part of our brand identity as to how we address the digital marketplace. Uh, we want the, the, the C-suite or the, the CFO organization to, to think about it as a financial kind of aspect, some, some way that they can get better financial performance out of their, their investments in digital advertising. So I think that's, you know, that, that's the point is if an organization has come upon it one way, we want to broaden their, their horizons and, and hopefully have them think about it in multiple ways. Yeah, I, I might I might pu I might push you a little bit here because because sure. uh, I often say in corporate America, once I've learned when when five people own something, nobody owns it. Right. The liberal situation for brand safety is 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 you you will put it. Everybody can own it because it does have impact for right. quite a few like CFO, CMO, um, mm -hmm. but even like you know chief security officer, a chief yep. ops officer, right? So so so. Based on the people who are currently adopting the certification you're yep. launching, if you're gonna make a bet, say, hey, you know, I just want to focus. That's that's yep. my primary target. They have the budget. They care the most about it. And then when thing when bad things happen, they will impact on them the most. Right. Who would you bet your money on? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I ultimately I would bet my money on the CMO organization and you know the buying and the marketer side. It'd be the investment groups and the the teams that that are going out and actually procuring the inventory and 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 they need to maximize the chances that if somebody starts coming in and looking more closely at what happens with that 
10 million, 50 million, $100 million investment over the course of a year for some of these massive brands, you know, that, that they have a story that says this is how we're going about making sure that that money is doing as much possible work as it can for us in as responsible a way as we can do it. Um, and so I think that's, that is the logical place. If it becomes just a compliance thing, I think it will become less interesting as a topic for, you know, uh, the, the industry to talk about. Because I, I think that will become very knowable very quickly and the tools will evolve to kind of settle those questions pretty quickly. What are the key blockers you see these days um, you know, from, from where you are today to the full adoption you want to achieve? Um, well, some of it's just time. Um, and I think a lot of it is that, that organizations are coming about this from different perspectives, I think the if if you look at the supply chain marketers are have been fairly insulated from this issue set because in some cases their agencies have done a great job of creating stacks that are relatively brand safe um and you know and, and i say that not to suggest that the agencies aren't doing a good job but just because there is no perfect 100 percent brand safe channel um so I think that the the agencies have taken some of that over, and when it was more transactional, that was that was probably okay. As it has become more consultative, I think the conversation now has to become more of a two way, where the marketers are taking a lead that the agencies had probably taken before, uh, and saying, "Hey, this is what we want our brand to be. How can you design something um, that that helps get us there?" from a corporate social responsibility standpoint, as opposed to just a, hey, maximize viewability or minimize fraud or something like that. Um, and, and again, I think the, if you ask different people at different times, you know, again, it means something different to the publishers to say, you know, fraud. So the, the agencies, once you go through a brand safety vendor, probably don't end up paying for, and certainly the marketers don't end up paying for all of that. Whereas the publishers, you know, once, once that, that fraudulent click has happened, you know, that's a lost opportunity for them. Whereas the marketers have, have less at stake because that, that paid for click will just get recycled and, and go to the next, the next free inventory. So I think the, some of the higher order, aspects of brand safety that we've been talking about have really been much more of an awakening uh, for, for the marketer community. And they've started to think about who it is that they're sponsoring and what some of the broader societal impacts are and if that's what they want to associate with their brands. And so I think that has, has, has woken up kind of a, a, a lot of movement and, and marketers driving the agenda a lot more than perhaps they had when, you know, in the early days of, of brand safety. I love it. So if you take the maturity curve to look at that, so you think it's still very early in the adoption stage? I think so. Um, and again, it's just such a complex topic that I think there's probably a lot of maturity in in the more transactional aspects of brand safety and the, the viewability and, and things like that. And adjacency is getting getting stronger. So if you start to think about what what GARM is doing, the Global Alliance for Responsible Media is doing, and, and making you know, content 
more easily classified into granular um, categories, not just of what type of potentially questionable or dubious content that it represents, but at, at what level of, of risk that that content might impose on a brand. Um, you know, as they look to work with the platforms and with others to, to standardize on that type of a rating system, it allows the marketers to start to take a more nuanced approach and say, okay, well, for this type of content, I'm okay with higher risk. For this type, I don't want to be there at all, et cetera, et cetera. And so all of a sudden you start to see, I think, um, you know, the opportunity for more maturity just because the industry is talking together more and getting together and, and figuring out how it can do a better job of, of executing brand safety. And, and that, as you say, it's, it's a curve and we're, we're probably, you know, getting towards the awkward teenage years of, uh, of, of brand safety maturity. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about optionality. So mm -hmm. if you put Brown and Gamble Unilever in the same room with Facebook and Google, right? Mm -hmm. um, what is the, what is the power dynamic today? Um, that's a great question. Um, and I, you know, not having sat in that room, I can't say I know the answer. I, and I suspect one of the amazing things that, that Google and, and Facebook and, and all of the, or many of the platforms at least have done is they've really democratized the ability to, to use high, high value advertising, right? So in, in pre-digital days, it was, you know, you, you had to be, have kind of reached a certain stature to advertise in the New York Times and have a certain level of spend and all of those sorts of things for them to, to, to pay attention. Um, whereas now with automated tools and, you know, kind of self-driven accounts and stuff, stuff like that, you know, the, the Facebooks and Googles have, have inoculated themselves a little bit from the, um, the, the concerns of any one potential customer, whether it be a Procter & Gamble or a, a Unilever or anybody else in their portfolio, because there's just so many, you know, there's what, seven, eight, nine million advertisers on Facebook just to pull one out of the air. So it, there would have to be incredibly widespread discontent with what they're doing and how they're doing it for that to be meaningful, even if, you know, some of the big brands spend more than you know the local pizzeria down the street from your house um but there are so many of those little local pizzerias that there's little that one or very few companies can do to to really make an economic impact on on a facebook or a google yeah it's kind of a challenge that we've seen the industry right because we saw that prawn and gamble and unilever tried to pull the the advertising out of uh, facebook mm -hmm. and twitter uh, you know during the pandemic and yet we know even you take i think it was like a top 100 brands out of uh, facebook yet the majority of the advertising if it's not like 90 percent of it coming from smb so truthfully the, the there's a power shift in that in that room that facebook and google can do whatever they want and, and it, you, you mentioned agency, right? If we really apply all the standards truthfully, then, then the Facebook might not qualify for that, but they, they hold the majority of advertising you actually can spend money on to reach out to your audience. Right. So, so what are solutions there? Yeah, well, I think I, I, th I already mentioned the, the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, and I think it is 
a, a testament to the fact that the the platforms who I think we would all admit have have a market power um, have have kind of come to the table willingly and said, okay, well, we want to understand more about how we can can do this together rather than making it a you know a combative relationship where you know you're throwing boycotts and, and things like that back and back and forth. It's how can we work together to to do what companies should always be doing, which is talking to their biggest customers and all of their customers about how we can evolve the product and make it more useful and, and a better place to, to achieve everybody's business goals. Um, so I think that's, that's the right answer. It's that everybody's come together and I, I don't, the exposure that I have had to those conversations, which isn't a ton, but is some, um, lead me to believe that, that it isn't a you know do this or else kind of situation it's a you know we 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 want to go forward and and figure this out together and i'm sure there's some line over which if the the marketer side of of garm said hey we demand you do this then one of one or multiple of the platforms would say no we're just not going to do it but that doesn't seem to be how the relationship has has been evolving so i think that's um that's very optimistic in terms of how how things have have been proceeding. Yeah, and also uh, to our discussion between BNSI and Oasis Consortium, mm -hmm. first of all, you try to address from professionals, the individual leaders perspective to make sure people are better qualified and understand yep. the subject matter better. And from Oasis Consortium pr uh, perspective, where we, we will collaborate on is to find new alternatives as well, because of course we can keep working on the big platforms, but mm -hmm. we also see there is a rise of gaming, dating, um, mm -hmm. new social media, uh, but even like educational networks, they start to be the golden mines for advertising and yep. they stand a better chance to actually adopt these standards early on. And hopefully they can become alternative, not only to, to come into the race to be a brand safer, um, uh, candidates for advertisers, but also give some pressure and a push for um, the existing big platforms, yep. Facebook and Google, to do the right thing. Yep. Well, and and I think you know you you have to think about those th those situations as a little bit different, right? So as as new platforms are being born and are just coming to advertising in a more formal way, I think mm -hmm. about you know. I think last time when we spoke, uh, we kind of joked about Roblox a fair amount as my go-to example as as a member of of the consortium, um, and you know they have dabbled only a slight bit, and I know this because my son is on Roblox a lot. They you know every once in a while I'll see like an an Adidas shirt as pop, as something he can get for one of his character's skins, but unlike say uh, Fortnite it's not everything isn't a corporate tie-in at this point um so you know it seems like advertising is very much nascent in roblox so they're in the process of creating their method for for engaging with advertisers and and if you start in 2000 in 2020 or 2021 to be built to build that program you're starting from a basis of these issues being part of people's conversation and so i think they can build and and some of the conversations we've had with with TikTok, they're very much as they're formalizing their advertising approaches, they're thinking about it very much from a brand safety by design 
standpoint, um, which, you know, if they, they can do because they're coming up with it now and they can say, hey, user safety is important to us because we need a viable community and brand safety is important because that's what's ultimately going to pay for all of this. Um, and, and because they're doing that from the beginning, they don't have to go back. And I think one of the challenges that you see at, at Facebook and Twitter and Google and places like that is they're having to go back and figure out, hey, we've got this massive enterprise that requires a lot of care and feeding just to keep the lights on and to continue to evolve the product and every other thing that is involved in running a massive company. And now we have to figure out how to retrofit what we do to consider all of these issues that are, let's face it, incredibly complicated. I mean, you know, if, if, if you sit back and just think about what, uh, you know, what Facebook or, or YouTube or, or any of those are being asked to, to think about, it's, you know, what, what is okay. Yeah. And, and how, and there is no possible way. I, I imagine just between the two of us, we couldn't design a system that we would both agree on. If you now expand that to the, the, the billion people or however many that are on one of those platforms, you know, there's, there's no right answer. And then you start to cross national boundaries and different laws and all of those things. And I, I'm, I'm glad it's not me that has to, to come up with, with all those answers. Um, so I think it's the, the pace is probably not unexpected, um, in terms of, of how, how we're getting where we're getting. Yeah, absolutely. I think to your point, I'm very excited about the new platforms who stand a chance for leapfrogging to your point. Yeah, Cause you, absolutely. you do not have the legacy, um, as Facebook and Google have, because if you start advertising right now, you are aware of all the issues. You can do exactly the word um, you said, and uh, at Oasis, we talk about all the time about the safety by design and privacy by design mm -hmm. and the, the DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusion by design. So they, they stand a better chance to leapfrog. And, uh, and to another point you mentioned, I think working together with all the major platforms who already have advertising legacy. I truly appreciate how hard the problem is. That doesn't exempt them for, for from not doing that. Um, but no. but but definitely, I think it, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a hard problem for them to solve given the scale. Simply given mm -hmm. the scale. Um, so so thank you so much. And uh, and yeah. uh, and any any la any last tip and advice you want to give to our audience to really move forward this brand safety mission you're on? No, I think, well, yes, of course. And uh, I always, always want to take the, the opportunity to encourage everybody to, you know, to really start to think about how, how brand safety happens in your organization. And I have likened it to, excuse me, how, uh, how program management happens in, in, in massive government contracts and things like that, which is a, a part of the economy that I have, have been in not too, too long ago. And, and it's ultimately around a, a project management plan, right? If you, if you follow what the Program Management Institute tells you to do, you're sitting there, you're, you've got your, your client, you've got your prime contractor, you've got all your subcontractors, which represents essentially the supply chain in the case of digital advertising. And you all sit down on a regular basis and you talk about how are we going to do what we're going to do? What are the goals? What do we do when it goes wrong? Who's involved? And just all of this stuff. And you're really creating this little sub community to get 
achieve a goal. And sometimes that goal is massive, like building, you know, an aircraft carrier. And sometimes it's smaller, like launching a website. But ultimately, the, the idea is still the same, that if we think about it intentionally and set goals and set processes and know who our lines of contact are and have open communication with them regularly, that will be more effective in, in getting the job done. And so I think as we start to talk about whether it's a high order activity like making sure our buying is representative of the, the various demographic groups that we serve, or if it is very transactional in terms of trying to prevent fraud, you know, how, how are we setting that all out and how do we, how do we plan for that as opposed to, um, you know, kind of just kind of leaning into specific programs and, and hoping that, that those are, are sufficient. It's, it's really about building those relationships and, and making sure you're looking up and down the supply chain. So I think that's my, my hope is that that becomes a, a bigger and bigger part of people's lives in, in brand safety. Thank you, Neil. And personally, I want to thank you for two things. Uh, <laughs> one is uh, I'm, I'm very proud to be a BSI certified brand safety officer. Excellent. I, We're happy to have you. I found all the curriculum was very useful for me to understand what's the latest, the landscape, the issues, the challenges we need to be done for brand safety. So that for always consortium, when we build the user safety standards, we can mm -hmm. be in good think with what you already built, what tag is already built, what GARM already built. I think for another thing is thank you for being an advisor for Oasis Consortium. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, uh, at the consortium, we want to build a user safety standards so that we can really raise the bar for the whole internet to be a safer place where advertisers can benefit, but really truthfully, um, all the platforms can benefit from as well. So thank you for so, being well, there and thank you for building BSI for, for all the professionals <laughs> in the space. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you. Uh, thank you for having me again. Thank you, Neil. If you want to be the first to hear the latest insights in brand and user safety from global leaders across industries, then don't forget to subscribe to our channel and sign up to our newsletter at oasisconsortium.com forward slash subscribe.